0: Hey everyone, Dave here. Uh, Thanks for joining me in my garden for an introduction to this week's podcast. Uh, This is Legends of the Spire, uh, where I speak to former players and managers of Chesterfield Football Club but this week it's something a little bit different. I was very fortunate this week to have 30 minutes of Adam Summerton's time. Now Adam is the uh, commentator for Vanarama National League footage on BT Sport also does loads of European football matches as well Um, so he's doing football pretty much all over the world uh, loads of different levels Um, it was really good to have a chat with him about how he got into this career in the first place and some funny stories along the way Um, and then in the second half of the podcast we very much spoke about Chesterfield. Uh, obviously, last season was a bit of a tumultuous one. Uh, we were riding high right at the start and then lots of stuff happened, which we shall not mention. Uh, and then we kind of finished that season on a little bit of a high with the Halifax game, forgetting about the Solihull one, but the Halifax one was a cracker. Um, so it was good to get his opinions uh, on what happened really at Chesterfield last season uh, from the outside looking in, and also his expectations uh, for Chesterfield and all the other teams really uh, in going into this 22-23 National League season. Obviously, as he mentions in the podcast, uh, it's a league that's getting a lot of attention now. Uh, it's an exciting league with a lot of good stories in it. Um, so everyone's really uh, ears are pricked up uh, when it comes to National League now, which is really great to see. Um, and Adam is a big part of that, um, as he's a fantastic commentator, uh, as I'm sure you'll all agree from the National League footage on BT Sport. Uh, I am at Spy Legends on Twitter and Instagram and Legends of the Spire on Facebook, wow, but as we're only a couple of days away, uh, from pre-season starting, let's just get straight into it. Here is the latest podcast uh, with BT Sport commentator Adam Summerton. I was having a quick look through your through like a few interviews with you and stuff, and someone said that the first match you commentated on was a Mansfield one. Yep, which obviously is Chesterfield. Fan, <laughs> might yeah, sick. but was it Mansfield Cambridge? Is that right?
1: Yes, it was at Cambridge, and it was uh, an incredible game. It finished. I always say three two, but I think I might. I, it's quite hazy the memory because it was a long time ago. It was the two thousand and three four season. It might have been two one, but I remember Mansfield ended the game with. Nine men. They still won though. Uh, I remember the police being on the pitch at full time, speaking to Keith Curl. It all got uh, tempers were frayed. And it was my first full match commentary. And I suppose after that, with the drama that there was, the buzz that you got, the adrenaline rush, I was kind of hooked really after that and um, almost knew from that day on that that was what I ultimately wanted to do um, full time. And it took me a long time to get to the point where I was doing it full time. But yeah, I was, I was absolutely bitten by the bug that day and have never really looked back.
0: Yeah. So did you start in kind of local radio and reports and, and news and things like that then?
1: Yes. Um, I, I started off actually working on what were called, I don't know if they still do these actually, but they were called RSLs, which was where... Um, maybe there was a company who had expressed an interest in uh, taking the license. If there was a license up for grabs in a particular area, they might express an interest in taking that license. And it was a way of them testing the water for, say, a month. So you would you would literally broadcast from a, a caravan in a supermarket car park, uh, as I did in, in Barrow, in Furnace, and I did it in uh, Torquay as well. And you would just base yourself there for a month and you would broadcast to the area. And I guess they got a taste of what that company could give. And, and the, the company got a taste of whether they wanted to take on that license. So I did that a couple of times. and That was sort of my first taste, really, of, of radio outside of university. And then um, my first job in radio was on news and sports and just about everything else, to be honest. It was a great uh, It was a great sort of grounding in radio in general, was at Mansfield 103.2. So I was there for three years, maybe three and a half years. And that was where I did my first commentary, was really sort of nudged into it, really. It wasn't something I sort of thought I would be any good at commentary, but uh, the boss there said, I think you'd be good at this and sort of nudged me into it. And I did it. And as I say, I absolutely loved it. But yeah, I was there for three years and it was just, it was almost like going to university again, but university on the job, If that because I learned so much in three years because I did everything, presenting, football commentating, news reading. But I was initially employed as a news and sports reader, but uh, yeah, I ended it. In a station that of that size, they really... Uh, punch above their weight, but it's it's a fairly small operation, and everybody has to really just muck in. So it, it was great for somebody so young as me. Then,
0: so so, how do you prepare for your first football commentary? Are, are you like practicing? just watching football for a little bit or do you just fling yourself straight in and kind of see what happens? Yeah
1: I have a vague memory of sort of practicing by watching a game on TV but then that wasn't really great practice because of course that was watching TV and TV and radio commentary are completely different yeah. skills really. Um, I always remember the guy who was kind of my mentor there who covered Mans- Mansfield Town 4 Mansfield 103.2, a guy called, well, he he had a sort of a stage name, which was James Bradley, which was the names of his two children put together. But his name, his actual name was Nigel Pinnock, who taught me a lot. And I I sort of, um, yeah, I learned a lot from him. And I always remember him saying before my first game, he said, if you were holding on to a cliff, you wouldn't let go, would you? I said, well, of course not. No. And he said, well, if you're talking in a commentary and you're doing radio, don't stop talking. <laughs> and that was kind of the pep talk that I had, really. But uh, yeah, it was just football commentary, radio commentary. It's just one of those things where you can never truly teach somebody how to do it. You you learn by doing it, really, and you have to make your mistakes at a at a, a, a lower level, I guess, mm-hmm. uh, and then that that's how you learn just by you learn how to get yourself out of tricky situations. You learn how to make things better for the listener or the viewer. Um, it's it, it is because I get asked this all the time about, you know, but say university students will say, I want to be a commentator. What, you know, what advice can you give? Well, yeah, I can give plenty of advice on things that you can do that can help. What I always say is, be a rounded broadcaster. Don't just think you can do football commentary. Use the skills that you would get as a newsreader or a presenter or a journalist. They all can be used in commentary. So that's very important that you get those other skills as well. Um, but it, it is a job that I, I really do. You can't. You couldn't get a, a degree in football commentary. Put it that way. You, you need to go out and do it.
0: Yeah. Well, I was I was talking to Laurie Madden last week, who led a lot of those courses for footballers who then want to go into journalism and he was saying how it was really important especially nowadays that they have uh, experience of being able to go into print journalism or commentary or mm. radio or anything because it's so varied nowadays and you just kind of want to have a play and see what where your skills lie and, and where yeah. you're fun, I suppose yeah.
1: yeah yeah I would agree with that I think it's really important I would always advise that to any sort of aspiring commentator who. Um, wants to ultimately do that for a job just get out there and knock on doors and you'll get doors slammed in your face I mean I had plenty um, but you just have to keep knocking and, and and appreciate the fact that you're not always going to get an opportunity but one day somebody will give you that chance and that was my sort of chance really at, at Mansfield 103 was that they just said look they clearly saw something in me that they thought I would be decent mm-hmm. at it and, and gave me a chance and I've always been one of those people that if someone shows faith in me or gives me an opportunity, I really look to repay that and grab it with both hands because I know that in this industry, in broadcasting, there are this many jobs and there are this many people that want to do it. So you have to stand out. You you can't, you have to um, think outside the box. You have to make yourself, you can't be unique, in it, I suppose, but you can maybe do things differently to how other people do and maybe, in a way you think's maybe better than how other people do them. But you've got to maybe separate yourself a bit. And and I always think that commentary is a bit like journalism, really. I always say that my first rule of journalism is tell people something they don't already know. So whenever I'm doing a commentary, a big part of it, of it for me is is the colour side of things. It's maybe finding a little detail out or something, finding something out about a player or a manager or even a referee, or just something that will make Storm go, oh, I didn't know that. And I, And I think that really contributes to a good commentary.
0: So how do you find those little nuggets then Are you on things like Y scout and, and all those <laughs> scouting things or is it just news reports and and all
1: all, all sorts of, of, of a real variety of sources to be honest and it, and it will depend what type of game I'm doing because I I mean I'm talking to you because of You know, my coverage of the National League, but I also cover things like Serie A and the Champions League, Europa League, Conference League, Premier League, um, women's football. I do so many different leagues that you'll get your information from different sources. And sometimes that might just be speaking to somebody within the game, speaking to a player who might be involved in that match speaking to a manager who might be involved in that match. That's a great thing about covering the national league is that your access to the, the the actors who are going to be part of what you're going to be talking about are much easier to speak to than they are. Maybe if it's a lot easier for me to knock on uh, or phone up Paul Cut than it would be for me to phone Jurgen Klopp, for instance. Um, the access is just that much better. So you can sometimes actually, you know, get that one to one access, but other times it might be. Um, if I'm covering a European fixture, say a Serie A game, it might be translating Gazetta della Sport, it might be um, translating another newspaper from, from Italy, um, it might even be going on players' Twitter feeds. Uh, there's just so many different ways that you can get information. And, and as a commentator in this day and age, I always think how lucky we are as, as a group of commentators now that we have the internet because before that I mean the only way really truly to get that information would be to be on the phone all the time you know uh, I always remember a, a piece of commentary for when I was a young boy and and it's I've always sort of seen it as a sort of an example of gold standard of commentary was John Motson in the ATA cup final whereas Aldridge was about to take his penalty against Besant Motson said, now I spoke to Dave Besson during the week and he told me that Aldridge places his penalties to the goalkeepers left. And as he, fractionally after he said that, Aldridge stepped up and put the penalty where Motson said he would put it. Now that is just incredible research, and the use of it could not have been better. Um, it gives me goosebumps actually say, talking <laughs> about that. I just, I just think it was an unbelievable piece of research, and for somebody who's you know I respect my craft and a lot of other people who do it, I, I thought that was just absolutely brilliant. But he, of course, wouldn't have had access to the internet in those days. You know, his mm-hmm. John Watson and you know, Davis and others of, of that era, their their access to information was much harder. But in some ways, actually, if I'm to look at, to flip it over. In some ways, their access was better because the managers and the players were maybe more open to being spoken to by a commentator before a game than perhaps they would be now. And never has a penalty been missed in the FA Cup final at Wembley. Well, that's what it was given for. More of that in a moment. Dave Besant in the week told me that he's been watching where Aldridge puts his kicks. Aldridge, in fact, was the player fouled himself. By good, it looked a bit harsh to me. Jimmy had in a moment on that. Besson thinks that, or thought the kick might go to his left or the right as we look if Aldridge decides to go the same way as in the semi-final. He did! And he saved it! And made history!
0: It's interesting when Bob Wilson was on, he was talking about when he was uh, like pulling together the first like analysis clips and he was spending time in like the basement, like with scissors and taping things together yeah. for hours. Yeah. Like that. a 20 second <laughs> clip together yeah. that you could put on TV. And he said, it seems amazing looking back now that he was doing things like that. But yeah. I suppose that's how you innovate, isn't it? And,
1: and yeah, make something different. Yeah, yeah. We, 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 as I started my university course, which was broadcast journalism, digital was all kind of becoming the norm then. But they insisted in our first year that we learn how to cut and splice. And everybody was just fingers and thumbs. Everyone, was, why are we doing this? You know, nobody's going to do this anymore. And now people have got razor blade, you know, with their fingers cut and everything. It was, it was, I found that really, I think if you'd had to do that when I was in it, I think I'd have struggled, to be honest. It was so, honestly, I have so much respect for the people that used to put out news programmes on a deadline when you had to actually cut pieces of tape with a razor blade. Incredibly difficult, that must have been.
0: I've always wondered, uh, it's a bit of a frivolous question, but um, as someone that watches a lot of, Football games and watches a lot of players. Do you ever get any managers or any scouts or anything like that asking your opinions on certain players because the amount of amount of times you've watched them?
1: Yes, yeah, yeah. I've been asked by, um, I've been asked by some agents and some scouts and some managers. Yeah, um, if you see a player, will he let me know what do you think of this player? Yeah, it does. It does happen quite a bit. I mean, and that can be at national league level where I'd say it's probably most common. Um. Where well, maybe clubs don't quite have the same scouting network and resources that maybe they would be at, say, a Premier League club. But I have even I remember last year there was a somebody from a Premier League club who knew that I watched a lot of uh, Italian football. Said if if you see anybody, can you let me know? So yeah, that does happen.
0: There you go. <laughs> I've always wondered. Um, so uh, kind of BT Sport then. Um, so you were kind of one of the one of the kind of pivotal figures that kind of came in, and you've been there for. Kind of a while now, haven't you? So it must be it must be nice for you to see how how that's kind of grown, uh, all that, all that coverage.
1: Yeah, I've been there from the start. Yeah, I started out um, as part of the team that did the European leagues. I did, I think, my first game was uh, a league unmatch. match. Um, BT Sports has been fantastic for me. They, gave, I mentioned earlier to you that whenever someone gives me a chance, I really look to try and repay that faith. I think that's important because you know, you do get all shut in your face. And when somebody shows faith in you, you really want to make the most of it and and prove them right, I suppose. And for a long time before BT Sport launched, I was sort of, sort of my early to mid thirties when BT Sport launched. And i would got to a point where I I was happy doing the job, but I hadn't got to the level that I wanted to get to or thought that I could aspire to. And i would knocked on the door at Sky and, and got one or two in sort of encouraging responses but never actually got given a game to do you know it was a case of yeah we like you and when an opportunity comes up we'll give you one well that phone call never ultimately came and and so when bt sport came along i I was in that kind of mindset of how much longer do i give this before i say i'm too I, i need to make a decision here i want to do something where i feel that i can um you know aspire higher than i than i am doing in this and i, and I, I felt that i could do it but it, i just wasn't given that opportunity so when they came along and straight away they said yeah you know we'd like to use you on the european leagues i was it was the it's the it's still the best email i've ever had um i was absolutely overjoyed when i got that email to say that yeah we'd love you to do some league and games and uh, and serie a matches and yeah from there um i suppose i've worked my way up the ladder there um and yet, it'll be it'll be ten years next year since BT was launched. Um, so, and it's exciting times going forward as well with the you know the well publicised merger with Discovery. So, um, yeah, the company means a lot to me.
0: And uh, and Prime as well, with they've kind of Amazon have kind of checked, yeah. started to change things, haven't they? In terms of having multiple games kicking off at the same time and being able to kind of flick through. Yeah. Um, you've kind of been involved in all that as well, haven't you? Which is really fascinating.
1: Yeah, I've been involved in every season that they've done that. And that's been a great experience to be a part of that as well. I think it's, I always like to, I think it's great when you can be involved in something from the very beginning, as I was with BT. Um, And I suppose you could say the same with Prime Video when I did their first round of games. Um, It's, I like to think you're part of, even if it's just a small part of building something, I think that's really exciting, particularly when it's on the edge of sort of technological innovation, as you could argue that the prime video offering is and was, I mean, it's something totally different for the, the British TV market, that sort of um, you know, that multiple access to games at the same time, so yeah, I thoroughly enjoyed being part of that um, great lineup that, that they've picked, and of course they've they've got fixtures coming up in October and uh, in December this season as well. So hopefully, I, I don't know yet, but hopefully be a part of that again. But yeah, it's uh, to be in something from the start is, is something that I've always been excited by. Yeah. Mm.
0: So before we go to National League. Uh, kind of during lockdown you had your own kind of little commentary projects didn't you on social media and stuff <laughs> ducks and, and, and all that kind of stuff
1: you saw that did you yeah,
0: I didn't see that, yeah. It, it kind of kept, kept everyone amused everyone went a bit doolally didn't they over that period of time yeah, a know? little
1: bit yeah i suppose commentating on ducks would would would, would go in that bracket yeah <laughs>
0: have you ever if you ever thought of continuing on that do it i suppose that's where uh you can branch out that's a new new area of commentary to branch into
1: I did it. There were certain things about that whole time that that I'll always remember quite fondly, actually, was um, I remember with my daughters that it's funny how these things work out. But I remember I can't remember if they got in touch with me or I got in touch with them or somebody noticed something I put on Twitter. But Roma, the Italian football club, got in touch with me and. Got me to write an article for them that involved my daughters and what I was doing with them and how I was teaching them and using what I was doing was I was using football to teach them in when you were doing the homeschooling about sort of countries flags and mm. things like that so I remember that they did like an article on me, on me and my girls about that I mean things like that would just not happen otherwise would they and um, yeah there was one or two other things as, as, as well I remember Teaching my girls out in the street how to do things like the Maradona turn, and, and well, I was filming it, and I just sort of spoke to someone at BT, and I said, "Which you wouldn't be interested in y- using this, would you?" Because they were at the time they were getting kids to send in video of um, themselves doing tricks and stuff. Mm-hmm. So my, so anyway, they did. So, so my girls thought it was brilliant that they got their video of them doing the Maradona turn on <laughs> on BT Sports. So yeah, just lots of little things like that. But um, yeah, it's all all kind of back to normal now, isn't it? Yeah, it is rather seem a, a bit of a disjointed formation but there's clearly four at the back here and there's two streaming forward in fact one there seems to have lost his head completely and look at this there's a counter-attack on and they're retreating they're heading back here
0: and one looks particularly worried so so national league obviously this is a podcast yeah. about Chesterfield. so yeah. it was a bit of a bonkers season last year for Chesterfield, really uh we obviously set off like a, a steam train and were riding high at the top of the league and everything was rosy and then various things happened with uh, our manager and had horrendous injuries all the way through the season, which obviously uh, Kabongo Shimanga's injury kind of ended it, uh, I suppose, for us. But what was your kind of... Uh, you obviously had quite a few games, quite a few Chesterfield games on, uh, mm-hmm. on TV last year. What was your kind of uh outside opinion of, of that season for Chesterfield it was a bit bonkers.
1: Yeah I remember st- at the start of it thinking that they would they would be title challengers and that was certainly how it was panning out. Um and look it's all ifs buts and maybes isn't it but I, I think you know hadn't the manager stayed and it not happened what happened with him off the pitch and had Shimanga not got injured I still think that they would have been writing it right until the end I don't really see any reason why they wouldn't have been when you looked at their form and it just really illustrated to me how fragile things are in sport and in football because you know you look at that situation at the turn of the year and you know things could hardly have been going any better could they for, for Chester And they've even got a plum draw in the FA Cup at, at Stamford yeah, yeah. Bridge I mean to go from that and the euphoria of that draw, the fact that they had the league's top scorer, I would argue that at the time before everything that happened off the pitch, that, that Roe was one of probably the most highly thought of young coaches, Mm -hmm. certainly at non-league level. And I've absolutely no doubt at all that had things not transpired in the way that they did. I think that he would probably be managing in the football league next season. um, Because I think there would have been clubs who would quite gladly have, have taken him. Um, so it's amazing how things change and as I say it's it's a lesson in how fragile things are and look they were and you've said it yourself another thing that really badly hurt Chesterfield was injuries I mean their injury list was insane I mean I remember doing Chesterfield games and and I would just sort of sit there and I would count (laughs) you I always know as a commentator clubs in an injury crisis when I have to count how many are out and I was doing that for nearly every Chesterfield game and I think it was it was very often like a whole team's worth of players were out. Um and look, no, no club at that level can can sustain consistent high level when you've got that many injuries because the squads just aren't deep enough to cope with it. Yeah. So I I guess you could say it was actually, even though their form dipped so badly at the end of the season, you could even say it was still an achievement just to get in the playoffs, but that shows how good they had been, didn't it? How many points they had on the board that they still managed to get in the playoffs. And look, they really, really badly limped into the playoffs. So there's any doubt about that. I mean, I remember doing a couple of Chesterfield games at the end of the regular season and I just thought this team's just unrecognisable from the team that we were watching earlier on in the campaign. And I just thought, look, they're by far the weakest team in terms of form going into the playoffs. But what a performance they produced at Halifax. I mean, yeah, I mean, I I came away from that game. Where did that come from? You know, I wasn't expecting that at all. And I suppose in a way, whilst, yes, some players who have been involved in that game have now moved on and and they're they're very active in the transfer market, which will encourage Chesterfield supporters. Look, there are some players who remain from that and might take a bit of of, um, encouragement from that, that, you know they beat a team in Halif- Halifax. I think had the best home record in the league last season. So that was a really good performance and a really good result to to get what they did at Halifax. But ultimately, I think you know Solihull were just they were they were the better team in in that uh, semi final. They they fully deserve to go through. I thought.
0: Yeah, it was interesting that Halifax game. I think I think like like you touched on morale probably amongst the fans really started to <laughs> quite heavily nosedive. You know, obviously everything happened with James Rowe and that, and then Shimanga got injured and was, ugh. Um, And then Paul Cook came in and everyone's like, Paul Cook's come in, <laughs> we're saved. Uh, and then the form didn't quite pick off and it kind of started to peter out. But then that Halifax game, I think has kind of given all of the fans encouragement that's probably mm. taken them through the summer yeah. uh, quite well. You know, it was, it was kind of, although we exited the playoffs, everyone's kind of forgotten about the Solihull game already, I think. Um mm. I think if Danny Rowe probably would have been fit, we might have had a better chance that game. But um, I think that Halifax game had a good, it was a good way to almost end a season. I think. Yeah.
1: I think Paul Cook needed that as well, because, you know, if the season had have ended, you know, when you think of how they limped over the line in the, to get into the playoffs, had they then taken a real beating, say, at Halifax? And that's how the season has ended. I think that... Um, the supporters I would imagine would probably have a different view of Paul Cook actually than than maybe they do right now. The fact that it ended really in some ways on, on, I know they obviously they lost the semi-final, but I think that that Halifax game, as you've said yourself, as a Chesterfield fan, look, that's given people encouragement. It'll have given people belief in uh, Paul Cook going forward. And I think for him, I I felt that he really struggled into, and he had a really difficult hand. There's no doubt about that, but I think that, the way he likes to play, I think, was a really in contrast to that of James Rowe. And I think, particularly in terms of um, you know, the tactical side of things and the shape that they were looking to play, I think that it, it was only right at the end of the season where I think he said, "Look, this is it now. This is the way we're going to change it going forward." Yeah. And maybe you know the fact that he's going to have a preseason, he's going to get to know the players better, he's going to get more of his what you might term his own players in. That could be really important for him going forward. It, it, it just felt like. Um, it wasn't his at all at the end of last season. Um, and maybe it was. It would have been harsh to judge him on going back into the club on those circumstances. But I think had they lost, had they took a beating at Halifax, I think the perception would have been very different to what it probably is now.
0: Yeah. I think he was in a bit of a no-win scenario as well, coming back to the club, because you come back yeah. in with a club right near the top of the league. And if it had gone on and would have won the league, Everyone had said, "Well, it was kind of James Rowe's team and players anyway." He just mm. kind of got you over the line. Yeah. Alternatively, if he then imposes his four-two-three-one and it all goes a bit pear-shaped, he's the guy to blame. So he was kind of in a no-win situation, I suppose, in a way, which yeah. I was quite surprised when he came back in the first place.
1: <laughs> yeah, and look, he's he's somebody with a proven track record in terms of promotion. So he's a he's a really great sort of coup in a way to, to have back at the football club when you consider his track record, his previous relationship with the supporters. But as the you know, this is football and we all know that having you know it looks like they are investing a fair bit over the summer. You know, the bookies have already got them as I think one of the top three along with Wrexham and Notts County to, to to get to to win the title. Um so that the the expectation is there that they they will be up there. So I suppose if you know if they were to have a bad start to the season, we all know how quickly things can turn in football. But I don't think that will happen. I, I think Chesterfield's. I think Chesterfield fans have got a lot to look forward to at the minute.
0: So, which teams are you kind of excited to excited to watch? Are you allowed to? Are you allowed to say? <laughs> yeah, I mean,
1: I think obviously, um, you know, there's there's always people who say you I can hear them now saying Wrexham. He'll say Wrexham. Yeah, but of course, I mean, you, yeah. I mean, how how could you not say Wrexham? I mean, clearly, what what they're doing at that football club, any football supporter would we'll, look at what's happening at, so that in that town and in that, um, you know, full, that club by these new owners. And I would say that, that's brilliant. You know, they're re- revitalizing an entire area. The, you know, the attendances have been incredible. The, the season ticket sales, and I've got a lot of time for that. You know, they're putting their money where their mouth is. Yeah. You know, everyone will have their view about, you know, should you be able to sort of blitz the national league with sheer weight of financial muscle? Uh, look, Everyone will have a view on that. I know that a lot of people didn't look on Salford very fondly, but I just, I just think there's a lot to be said for people who come in and put their money where their mouth is and, and back a place and back not just a football club but a town. So th- th- their financial might, the fact, fi- the fact that they're signing players from League One and League Two and well already have done previously and, and are doing again, you know they, they've got to be the favourites for the title. It's, it is theirs to lose. It has to be because of you know, where they are, but this is the national league and it's so unpredictable and players at this level, even though they are signing football league players, th- th- there can be an inconsistency. You know, if they weren't, if they were consistent, they wouldn't be playing in the national league. They would be playing in the championship or the premier league, because on a one-off day, a lot of them have got the ability to be at the very highest level. They just can't do it consistently. So I think that's one of the reasons why it, it, at national league level, it is so hard to predict These things, and I think it would be a mistake. I think, I mean, the bookies don't get much wrong, do they? They've got a lot more money than I have, Um, but I think they're making a mistake in making Wrexham such heavy favourites because I, I just don't think the national league works like that. I can't see a procession and you know a team winning it by. February or March I'm just not sure it'll work like that but uh, Chesterfield will be up there I think Notts County will be up there they've impressed me with some of the signings that they've made Uh, a new coach obviously he's got to get used to National League level you know it's intriguing what will we get from the teams who've come down a lot of them tend to struggle when they come down from League Two so Alderman Scunthorpe you know it's hard to know what we'll get from them I think a potential dark horse could be um to not necessarily to win the league but to be in and around the um you know the playoff places would be south end I think that they've got their house in order now Dagenham and Redbridge had a a pretty strong end to last season so there's also the others that I could mention as well I I think it could be a really interesting but yeah Wrexham are the favorites but I I, I, it's hard to it's hard to make a case that they're not I mean you may disagree I don't know
0: well I always find it I I remember when Chesterfield went down i remember vividly a, a Tranmere fan came on the Chesterfield forum and said um i want to tell you how it's going to be over the next season he said <laughs> for the first for the first few months you'll think oh this is really funny we're going to dover and we're going to king's lynn and we're going to all these places i've never seen before and we're going to win 6-0 and it's going to be all right good fun uh, and then they said you'll realize after three months that that dover and the king's lynn and the teams you've never heard of They'll be beating you, and they'll be better than you, <laughs> and and the glamour will soon uh, disappear. The fun will soon disappear, and it was certainly how it happened for us. Mm. And you, you kind of think the same, probably for for uh, for Scunthorpe and and oldham It could be uh it it could be hairy in that first few months, and then it's funny yeah. the atmosphere changes quite quickly when you're suddenly dorking, you're beating you three 0 at home. Yeah. You know, and it's
1: yeah, that's the other side of things, isn't it? A club like Dorking coming into it, you just think, wow, what, what could they produce? There, I, I said on Twitter the other day, and it's something I always think uh, about the National League, is one of the great reasons, because I'm lucky I, I broadcast all levels of football, you know, right from the Champions League to the National League. But I'd say one of the things I really enjoy about covering this level of football is the sort of, the stories that you're able to tell, the narratives that you get. And they're very different stories to the type that you would get in the Champions League. Very often they're, you know, stories of adversity or coming from adversity. Um, And... That's, as I say, that's probably one of the best things about covering this level of football, you just get to get underneath and you've got because you've got that extra little bit more access, you can get under the skin of it a little bit more than again that you could do the higher you go up the, the food chain so I'm quite sure that we'll get those stories um, again this season. We always do. It's, I mean, you never don't. And that, whatever it it could be, Wrexham going up after what it would be 15 seasons, wouldn't it? In in the uh, this level of football, you know that in itself would be an incredible story. Even if you just take away all the the Hollywood ownership and all that.
0: Being a supporter in this league, like in the first three games, I think for Chesterfield, we had Dorking away where you know i'm not being disrespectful but their attendances were generally three figures and the bunch of amateurs series is amazing on youtube uh but and then a few games later we've got Wrexham at home where i've no doubt it will be near sellout and we'll be getting about ten thousand there mm. and it will feel like a top level league one game yeah it's weird how you can go game to game like at one point being in a really ramshackle stadium and the next point it feeling like a a big football league fixture.
1: Yeah, I think you've hit on something important there, and something that does worry me a little bit about the national league. Because yes, it's great that the league's getting even more publicised. I've never known the national league be talked about more than it has been over the last twelve months. Even you know when Salford arrived, but Salford, you know, was still a fairly small operation despite the fact they had big backers. But you know, with the crowds that have been coming to clubs like Chesterfield, Grimsby, uh, Notts County, Wrexham. Um, it's definitely got more people talking. I noticed things like TalkSport are talking more. They're phoning people like me and asking us to go on and talk more about the National League than maybe has been the case before. And there has been more money going into the league. And we're seeing you know, the standards perhaps go up in, in that respect with League One and League Two players coming in. But I think another effect of that, and you've just sort of, touched on it there, is that I think that the gap between the top end of the National League and the bottom end of the National League is getting bigger and bigger. And in terms of competitiveness, that is a worry for me, that ultimately there will become a tipping point where we no longer see teams like Dover, or, or, or well, they've just dropped out, haven't they? But teams like, you know, I, I won't mention any teams because I'll get criticised for that, but you know <laughs> what I mean? The teams at the bottom end, you would expect to be at the bottom end, are going to really struggle to to bridge that gap to the Chesterfields, not counties and Wrexham's. That's a worry for me, that we might lose a bit of the competitiveness. But that also feeds into what is an ongoing debate. And one I think needs to be talked about more is is too automatic up from from the National League. I can't believe that there is not more pressure on the Football League to make that happen. I, I just... It's it's just makes no sense to me at all that there aren't two automatic promotion places. It, it, it absolutely has to happen, and the national league now is albeit you know I, I'm I'm trying to think is there a, are any part time clubs? I mean a lot of them have gone to a kind of a hybrid model now, haven't they? But truly part time. I think Wheelstone might be part time if, if memory serves me right. But you know they're nearly all full time now, and it is. You know some people say look it's the sort of Division Five now in in terms of it needs to be treated as such. So I, I think that debate really needs ramping up, to be honest, um, in terms of the, the two up.
0: Yeah. oh, it's, it, You're right. I mean, it's, it's it's horrendous. The, the, the things I'd love to see change in the national league league would be to have seven subs and to have more promotion spots because <laughs> we're just having yeah. to uh, certainly last, last year, no goalkeepers on the bench, which uh, really did us in the playoffs in the season before at Nottingham. Yeah. Um, and I know that the various managers have spoken about that, but but it's just you, you think I could easily see Stockport going up from League Two because there's four promotions. Yes, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I could. Wouldn't uh, surprise me National too. Twenty Two.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know Ian Birchall at Notts County said that was Mickey Mouse was I think the, the the quote from him last season about the you know as you mentioned there the substitutes and I can understand that a lot of National League managers don't go with a substitute goalkeeper, mm-hmm. uh, but it's you know it's it's it can be a risky business.
0: <laughs> Great. Well, so it's uh, kind of getting to the tail end uh, of our chat. So, so you're kind of looking forward to this uh, following season then? I, I suppose it must be interesting for you to be able to do European games and then <laughs> go to Dorking or something like that. It must be nice having that variety.
1: Yeah, it is nice variety. Yeah, I, I thoroughly enjoy doing, I just enjoy football really. I don't, it doesn't really matter too much what it is, but. Um, You know, there are different challenges, different sort of research challenges, depending on the level of football that you're covering. But a football match is ultimately a football match. And, you know, I I just enjoy all the leagues that I cover, really, for for different reasons. As I've probably illustrated to you why I like the National League here. And there's reasons why I could tell you I I love covering the Champions League. Obviously, that's the, the, the highest end of the game, along with the Premier League as well. So... You know, the football that you see is is at that level that the best that you can see. So that, that makes that very enjoyable too. But yeah, I always look forward to every season. I've got, I'm have i at that stage of the summer where I've enjoyed, I always try and have a bit of time off over the summer because yeah. it is really intense during the season. So I try and have a, a bit of downtime during the summer. But I've, I've got to that stage and I think I've had, I think, about, I think it's about four weeks since I last did a game and I'm getting to that point where I'm like, Twitching, get a bit twitchy you know I want to I feel I'm almost like thinking should I start my, my prep for you know the I, I've got a pretty good idea of what my first Italian game of the season is going to be for example and it's like it's like five six weeks ago I think should, should I start the prep you know so um but I've got I've got some fun things to look forward to with my kids as well one of which is going to San Siro with them which I'm really looking forward to doing um be fantastic to take them to Milan um so yeah, I've got a few things coming up, but yeah, I can't wait for the start of the new season. I think it's going to be a really good one as well for the National League and um, again, so many great stories for us to tell and uh, I can't speak for all the National League team at BT, but I, myself I'm really proud of, of the coverage that that we provide. Uh, I think that, you know, to have that coverage of the fifth tier of a, of a country's league, I think is and I, I I don't know this for a fact, but I'll be astonished if that is done in any other country. And that owes a lot to the pyramid in this country and how well supported it is. Yeah, um, so I I, t- I think we've got a team that is full of people who respect the level of football and make sure that they do their research and, you know, to have someone just for, you know, people like Adam Virgo and, and Matt Smith, um, you know, it's a great, it's a great team that we put together and it's kind of stayed together as well. People come, people go, but, um, you know, the core of people have been doing it for quite a while now, and uh, we all we all love it and we enjoy it, and hopefully that shows in in the coverage that we provide.
0: Yeah, well, bring us some luck. <laughs> <laughs> I suppose you're not allowed to bring us. <laughs> <luck>. <laughs> and, and my yeah. last question was just going to be: Did you ever do a Chesterfield Mansfield Derby then, when you were in those? Uh, no, I didn't actually. No, I didn't. I, I, I wish had I, did. I had a done.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, I, it was. It was something that I always fancied. I'm trying to think, were they in the same league that year? 2003, yeah. four. I don't think they were, were they? Maybe not. Yeah.
0: We maybe were no, around. I think... Certainly when Jack Lester was around kind of three or four years later, there was a few derbies because he yeah. celebrated a few. I, the,
1: the, the people who worked there told me endlessly about the derby. Uh, but no, and I don't think um, I don't think I ever did one. No, but uh, I'll, I'll get accused of being biased against Chesterfield now, won't I? Now, now, not, now that I've they find out that I've done a, my first game was Mansfield Town, <laughs> I have to say that is something that I just it just beggars belief. Sometimes some of the the comments that you get, just people, are, you know, you you you'll have a game where, and I don't look at you don't take too much interest in Twitter, but just occasionally if, if one particular group of supporters is really on your case. You might just learn. It's funny how you can be doing a game and you'll have 50 percent of these replies to you on Twitter will say, you're so biased against my team. And then the other 50 percent will say, you're so biased against my team. So you think, well, if they both think I'm biased, then we must <laughs> be meeting somewhere in the middle. But yeah, I mean, look. Take it from me that I've not met a commentator yet who cares less, really. You're just doing a job and you want to see a good game of football. You're certainly not going to favour one. I'm not going to risk my career that I've worked, you know, so incredibly hard and gone from working in a supermarket, in a supermarket car park in a caravan to, to lose <laughs> it all to favour one National League team over another. I'm sorry, it's just not going to happen. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's all done, you know everybody hopefully is is gets their fair share of the coverage as well
0: yeah great well thank you so much for coming on great to talk to you pleasure thanks for having me <laughs>
1: clever ball king with the chance to cross yeah! ah! what a goal it comes against his former club it's shipped him whether he meant it or not, not entirely sure. It certainly caught Johnson by surprise. But Chesterfield here, with just under 25 minutes to go, have doubled their lead.